Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV Podcast for 11's After Show. Only viewable with the James Webb Telescope. Our after show. <laughs> yeah. We're that far out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you look at any of the... You have not. You, I have not. Nothing. Have. Uh, today they released pictures um, at a live stream, which I watched, because I'm cool like that, um, of them releasing five pictures of from this new telescope. This is... Are you familiar with this telescope? I... I the only thing I know of it is somebody posted like one picture yesterday or something. Correct. Like that. It was like the, one of the five. Was five. Okay. That, that was one of the five. There were four more beautiful. They went into a lot on how they actually, because the color, the, the pictures aren't when they get them, they aren't actually color pictures because they're done via like infrared and mm. other, other aspects. And so they went through the whole process on how they actually do color them based on different wavelengths and there's a little bit of artist interpretation Uh-oh. and cleaning up the pictures and this and that. And they, they showed all, you know, they showed these five pictures. I mean, this is the equivalent of Hubble when we were a kid, but just times 100. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty, it honestly is relatively amazing that we can do this stuff, but, and just the design is, is like, I see it being an iconic design for the next for NASA for the next like 20 years. It's this honeycomb looking reflected thing. I'll I'll pull up the James Webb telescope and you can see it's got uh, like this is this right here is the James Webb telescope. So it's got this huge refractor. um, I should pull it up for the broad, the people at home, people at home too. copyright. Um, It has these, hexagons that are all reflective and obviously it's got this mirror and it's just everything about this is is amazing but on top of that i think that just this this honeycomb pattern is going to be very much nasa for the next 10 to 15 to 20 years and it's just this is faster than the hubble so they'll be able to get more pictures the the one picture they released that you probably saw of all the stars they said equate that to holding up a single grain of sand at arm's length in the sky that is what the picture entailed. Wow. So for reference, the sky could, there's a lot of grains of sand in the sky. If you want to take a look. Yeah. But pictures were really cool. And, and I'm, I'm a nerd like that. So I got a real good kick out of watching, watching them do this. The other thing I got a kick out of their live broadcast, 
Yeah. What a mess. <laughs> okay. It was kind of funny in that you you would hear, she'd like, hey, we're going to go over to Perth, Australia, and talk to the, some people there, and wave to the crowd, and then the people would be sitting there looking, and she'd you'd hear her in the background like, hey, Perth, and no one would do anything, and you could just tell there was a delay, and then people would cheer, and they'd cut away. At one point, they cut away to a different guy, and then three seconds later, you could hear the guy again on repeat. So somebody in the control room had a hot mic. At one point, I heard her say something. When they cut away, I heard the uh, the person who was running the, the the not the live stream, but in front of the camera, basically saying, "Guys, guys, I'm getting a lot of IFB in my ear. I can't." And then she <laughs> cut off hardcore. And it's just live production is difficult, even for NASA. If a bunch of you know rocket scientists can't figure out live broadcasting, get off our case. <laughs> <laughs> so it it was really cool huh so they don't have it figured out <laughs> Entirely. I, I, i'm just spacex has like two or three legs up on them because that spacex one is always pretty tight it's it's really well done um the nasa one looks like they hired like a high schooler that had just learned obs <laughs> or vmix to, to run it or something like that i, I just got i I got a kick out of it, and I'm not saying I would do any better because live production is hard, especially when you're bringing in all those sources and all those different people. They would cut to a shot, and somebody there'd be two people, and one of their mics was turned off, and then you'd quickly hear it turn back on, and just things like that. I, I just got a kick out of watching some of the live production done by NASA. Um, ultimately, though, I was there to see the pictures, and I thought it was really cool. All right. Well, I, I've got something completely unrelated to quickly throw out that, uh, as some of you know, a few little while ago, a few weeks ago, myself and Matt Graham, along with Todd Dodge, all kind of constructed a, a quick little crew to do some media work over at Maple Hill. And I had a lot of fun being there. We had eight different college teams that were available that all came to compete. And uh, we were just looking... Partly just looking for the right time to release some of the action for it. And there's a, a tiny lull in in overall coverage at the moment. So if you go out there, there is a recap video from rounds one and two that I released on my channel today. Please check that out. And then the plan is probably tomorrow to release uh, a little more standard in-depth round number three coverage that includes shot-by-shot uh, -shot action. So check that out. I, again, I know there's a little break in coverage momentarily. We're going to probably see some masters and juniors coverage uh, slowly unfold in the next few days, and we're not going to see some PCS coverage for another day or two or three. So you've got some fresh content, and that actually unintentionally perfectly segway segwayed if that's a uh, if that can be past tense into. That could be a you know that that could be a verb too. Like you segued over to the course. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, I suppose uh, that segues though right over to our friends at Emporia State University, and hopefully maybe as early as next week. Uh, tonight things are a little shorter and quicker, um, but the the long and short of it is that Eric McCabe has been named the coach of the new. What does he know? ESU disc golf team. What does that guy know? What has he ever done? Uh, I don't know, but jeesh. So uh, I, I want to get more into it next week. I really don't want to. I don't have, well, I have all the details, but I'd rather hear from Eric, honestly, than me reading some copy to you. So if it works out, I'm going to reach out to Eric. And uh, tonight would have been great, except for uh, our very quick 
overall night. So hopefully next week we can have Eric, and that actually does fit perfectly with what I was just saying uh, with regard to a release of this recent um, college disc golf event that's on my channel, the Maple Hill Invitational. So please go check that out. And congratulations to Eric McCabe. Uh, Hopefully we'll have him next week. Maple Hill Invitational. There's a quick plug for you. Way to go. Okay, it's out there. All right, let's get caught up on other things that have come in on the board. Um, I have a question about something that happened on 13. Zach Arlinghouse threw a shot that knocked a dead limb off a tree. It was six inches wide at base and 12 feet long, smacked into several pieces. Okay. Uh, so he, as they jokingly, he did a little tree trimming. Yep. Um, uh, it screwed an upshot by Bradley Williams. I don't know if you're, if, oh, oh, as a spotter, could I remove that from the fairway? Uh, that's a good question. It happened I, during the round. I, I would, So only if it could be proven or, or if it's known to have happened during the round, can you remove something like that? So. As a spotter. A spotter, I guess, technically can do whatever the heck you want, right. <laughs> but uh, I, I would think so. I'd have to double check that, but I would think that you could. I guess the other question is, could you not? <laughs> right? I mean, if you, if you re, or is there anything saying you can't, I guess would be the way I'd look at it. Um, We'd have to look it up, and this is exactly why the PDJ rules are open book uh, when it comes to the test and when they're available everywhere is because in a scenario like that, you would go out and look it up. I would think that you could. It fell during the round, and that's always part of the conversation is, is was something there at the beginning of the round or uh, did it happen during the round? And that happened during the round. So in that case, I would think that it could be. I guess it's always interesting, like, does it matter if it's a spotter as opposed to a player? And what if a player, I mean, it brings up so many questions, honestly, because what if, what if you, let's say it's with the old school shotgun start. You started on hole 14. So you played 13, like you practiced it right up until the two-minute warning. You had played it, and you were very familiar with it. And then all of a sudden, um, and there's, there's, the stick is not there. But then the round starts, and then by the time you get to it, it's your final hole, and you see the stick is there. So it clearly fell during the round because you were there all the way till the two minutes, and then you started on 14, so you're ending on 13. Then is your argument that you could move it? I'd have to look it up. I don't know. Um, there was a little bit of talk this week about um, from some of our pros Drew Gibson talked about whether or not we need to think about calling events due to safety, whether there was too much rain or wind. I I don't like the wind thing. I think you're just being a whiner at that point. But I understand there could be safety factors for too much rain, even if there's no lightning. A course like Idlewild, where there's a few up and downs, there could be a lot of mud. It could get dangerous. We saw that with USCGC a few years back where there wasn't quite lightning yet, but the winds were very high and there was rain and tree branches were falling. Yeah. I can understand that at a course like Idlewild. I do believe that there are instances where just safety is a factor, whether it's the ground, if it's raining heavy enough, you just it's almost impossible to get footing, whether you're doing forehand or backhand. 
I have no problem with that. Um, but in, in general, I don't think you should be calling a, a tournament just because of wind a la DDO. Um, yeah. That, that's again, that's just unfortunate convi- uh, conditions uh, kind of aligned with that. Second thought was Andrew Presnell who had talked about how he felt that players should be grouped by rating. On first round, first round that the because players of the weather of similar ratings should be grouped together. Um, which I I understand. I don't necessarily agree with, but what I could look at, and we don't have here's here's why I don't necessarily think it's that important. We're getting to the point in our sport where almost all of our players that are playing these events are practically a thousand and ten rated and up, or a thousand rated and up. So who do you pick on? The guy who's a thousand, a thousand and ten, make them go off early in the morning as opposed to the thousand and thirty guy. Do you just split the field in half and say, all right, well, the average rating is, you know, or or the mean, so to speak, you'd want to probably not the average, would be median? It'd be the median. Um is is a thousand and fourteen. So everyone under a thousand and fourteen, we're just gonna randomly mix you up. You're gonna go in the morning, and everyone after that goes in the afternoon, or you 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 kind of find a middle point for that and, and do it that way. I could understand if, if we went that direction, I don't necessarily think it's that valuable. Cause as we see, uh, you know, these days it feels like almost anybody can win these events regardless of where you are. And he, he wants similar conditions for similar rated players. So, uh, which, which is not, A wild theory if you look at what the PDGA has done over the last few years, specifically with Worlds. Mm -hmm. They have traditionally now, and this has happened for a number of years, they have traditionally grouped similarly rated players in when we've had multiple pools, at least. They've put your top... Basically, most of the people who are in contention to possibly win... They'll be putting in the A pool. Mm -hmm. Everybody else gets put in the B pool. That's as of late, or or at least some of the uh, you know it had worked out that way. And that was from a competitive standpoint, from exactly what you're saying, which is, you know, why why would you have some players? This is especially true when we were playing two different courses on the same day. And why would you have a certain group of players? that are on one course and, and maybe 30 minutes away, another group of players on a totally in totally different conditions. And that it has kind of gone away largely due to the overall, um, uh, new teeing in, in that, mm-hmm. in the way that we go off with the tee times. However, let, let's use a great example though. And, and here's where Andrew's argument I think has some validity. What what happens when you're ten twenty and you're just you're essentially never on a feature card? Which means it's you're just, in that pool. Cool. There's a lot of people of that going, are never on a feature you're card. You're in that pool of traditionally then going earlier in the day, and of course sometimes that could be to your advantage. Maybe you you played in a round that had no wind or no rain. I I understand where his argument. I think he got blasted a little too hard personally. No, I, yeah, I don't think necessarily. From what I read from it, I feel like people really went too so, hard on, so, on responding to him is uh, personally what I feel like. Yeah. If you're, I mean, let's look at it this way. 
Andrew Fish, rarely on a feature card, 1022 rated. Um, Which means he'll never be at 3 o'clock. Correct. Ezra Ezra Robinson. Paul McBeth will always be at 3 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, right around there, whatever, the the final two groupings. Now, not always the case, because sometimes we first round, we do have a feature card usually in the morning. Sometimes. That that we, almost always, that we stack. That I think... Whoever it is, I think it's Gatekeeper, maybe. Gate, often, yeah. Often sure. gets the morning card, and and they'll stack that particular card. It's like a 10, 10 a.m. card, and mm-hmm. it, it's picked. But, I mean, there's a lot of 10, 20 players that will never be on feature cards. Austin Hannum will probably never be on a feature card because he's just he's a good player. But if Prodigy is going to pick a player, they're probably going to pick Ganon or Ezra or someone who is is playing very well right now, and Austin is by no means a schlub. He finished ninth. That he's just not a draw right now. Chandler Fry, Raven, I mean, maybe Raven Newsom, Austin Turner. These are all 1020 guys that will never, Luke Sampson. So let, let's just say they're playing That's, sub yeah. 11 a.m. every opening round. Yep. Sucks, but yep. Okay. I, I'm, I, yeah. All I'm saying is I, I understand where Andrew's coming from. They're they're not necessarily always playing. They're just not playing those top two. They're just not playing in the top two cards. They could still play on card three, four, five, six, seven. Those are all afternoon cards. But you're right. They're never probably playing at at we'll just say three thirty, three thirty, and three fifteen. Oh well. So you're playing at two forty five some weeks. You're playing at sure, ten a.m. some weekends. Yeah, ten a.m. Whereas I, we knew certain players will never be playing at ten a.m. Uh, more than likely, you probably will never see a Macbeth. Every once in a while, you'll see something like that if they get on that feature card. Um, but more than likely, because of the way the DGN works and and when you are... The DGN only has so many cameras. And they tend to want to make sure that if someone... And it's getting harder and harder with the number of players we have. But if we think that there's someone that's going to be in contention, we want to be able to see them. So we usually will put them later in the day because then we'll be able to get to them if they're having a hot round other than usually that 10 a.m. But that can't always be the case. The other day, Simon was played a kind of a mid morning round and he shot a pretty good round and we didn't see any of it because it was that it, it just it was just that way. You know, Paul Oman, 1017, Tim Barham, 1017. Those guys will never see lead cards unless they no offense, unless they get better, unless they start raising the rating or have a phenomenal weekend the week before where then, then the week after that, we get to feature them. It's yeah, just, I, I understand how all that works. I, I, I know I, you do. I'm what I mean. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. I can understand Andrew's frustration. Yeah, because he had to play early in the morning. The weather was crap. And then in the afternoon, even though we thought the weather was going to be crap all day, it kind of cleared up. Yeah, it was on much day one. nicer. It was way know, much nicer. In, so in the I, I get that. I get the the discussion points. I'm I wouldn't be opposed to it to, to bunching, like creating maybe three bunches of players. Here's your ten fifty to ten thirty. Here's your ten thirty to ten fifteen, and you kind of mix them up from there. But I I'm also not crying about it. I'm not saying he is. I'm just not gonna cry that it's not gonna happen because frankly. Everyone plays throughout the season. Most people will get mixed up other than your stars. And sometimes it's going to. Yeah. Which uh, I, I, which yes, I but think is the whole crux of the entire but, conversation. 
Like your you, the the star the. But sometimes Some the afternoon would argue play- the the rich get richer. Not I always. Think. Maybe no, they, of course not. They may- they could have terrible weather conditions That's in right. the afternoon. That's absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I, I'm not even going to continue it, this. Co- correct. It's just he wants the same conditions for the same ranked players, so to speak. And and I I I wouldn't be opposed to it. But I'm also I also don't care enough. I don't think it's a high enough priority at this point. What what makes it a higher priority for you? What do you mean? What? <laughs> Never mind. All right. So Moving on. Uh, that was uh, a conversation that was held this weekend. And and as you said about playing in the various conditions, at, at least at one point, I know I heard somebody on one of our cards. At, I don't remember what day or what card it was or what person it was. was like, well, that's not safe is what they had said. Like, you're always you're always welcome to call an unplayable lie. And then take a, a stroke for that, but you can't just deem well. There's a log here, or there's something there, or I, I, you know, I don't like that footing. Therefore, like, if you want to call an unsafe lie, you're always welcome to do that, or an unplayable lie, however the terminology is. I again, I don't have my rule book in front of me. You're always welcome to do that with penalty, but it doesn't become a a, a subjective scenario of. Well, you you have to stand there. Yeah, that doesn't look safe. I mean, there's a lot of not safe looking things I've stood in that I, I just it's I guess what I'm really trying to say is I feel like our pros wouldn't. They could benefit from rereading the rule book every once in a while. Sure. that That's what I'm and, trying to say. And the other thing, you know, in relation to Drew Gibson, nobody's forcing anyone to play. In general, oh, if sure. if you yeah, get that's... if 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 you're at the course and it's pouring and it's idle wild and it's slippery, cool. We Natalie Ryan just said, "I'm outsies. Yeah. See you later. I'm out of here. I don't. I'm I'm not mentally prepared for this weather. I'm not prepared physically for this weather. I, I'm out of here." And she walked off. She just didn't show up for her next round. She was like, "Cool. I'm done. I'm DNFing." I'll see you at the next tournament, guys, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's just the way it went. I, I, I don't blame her. You know, if you're not ready or you don't feel like you're prepared, why risk injury? She's had a hamstring issue in the past. No one forces you to play these events. Yeah, uh, I I very much agree that if it's if you don't feel comfortable, and clearly everybody has a different threshold of that. Mm-hmm. You know, some players are. And I don't want to just say more prepared, but just due to their throwing style, this affects some players more than another. And I feel like that was talked about more than once this weekend is somebody that had a standstill forehand shot probably had a significant advantage at one point or another more than normal because they weren't using some form of run up and they weren't relying on those on their footwork nearly as much. That can definitely play as a distinct advantage. Now, I'll I'll be the first to admit, does it suck to throw a shot on hole 18 in the dead center of the fairway. And that happens to be actually, that's where you want to land for your throw for your flight. But it's the muddiest but spot. But it's the muddiest spot. Cause that's been walked through. I, I just always, I guess when I hear the argument about, wow, does it really suck to be the last group coming through in rain and your tee pads covered in mud as opposed to the first groups yeah, that walk through? Absolutely. I, I would, I would want to be teeing off early every day. So you wouldn't have to worry about that. That would I'm, be much I'm better. Just saying. So uh, yeah. So I guess, <laughs> Does yeah, I I'll agree with Dust 
Dust Esports uh, out there on the board. The T-pad you always want as best Mm -hmm. as it can be, but you realize like a weekend like this, like what can you do? Yeah. Just there, there was, there were brooms available. You can do your best, but those pads still can get slick and yeah. So, uh, or you pull the Ganon burr and drop down two towels. That That's one way. That's certainly I've a good never way to seen it. that in my entire life. I have never seen someone put down two individual towels, one under each foot to throw in the middle of a fairway. I've seen ginormous towels on tee pads, like beach towels mm-hmm. that someone lays down and they almost have a full tee pad of towel. I've never seen two small individual towels um, in a fairway. Those, to- those towels had to be, I suppose you could probably reuse those every fairway because who cares if they get really dirty. Yeah, dirt and uh, nasty. Uh, but yeah, anyway. They ended up getting solid. washed, I saw, thanks to Matt Ballard. Great job. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, and someone just said on the board something about limiting spectators. What I would say to that is it's so funny, like all of the problems that arise were e- were either not problems or were the exact opposite of what we thought or wanted at one other point. And, and I mm-hmm. guess another example of that is, I heard, I read somewhere somebody saying, well, there was a huge roar when Matty O was putting on 17. That's what I heard. And maybe just because I've been at enough events for a long period of time now, that happens at every tournament, especially during the last round, especially as the crowds have gotten bigger and they're following people around. There, there is no, there is, in my opinion, I don't know how in the world you would ever prevent no, that. No, you can't. That, you that's, just you absolutely can't. Does that, it suck for the player? Absolutely. But guess what? Matteo is a phenomenal player who's thrown some crazy good shots. He has been the cause of that. Exactly. Probably more times than it has affected him. So That is exactly it. it, it. it I have zero I love Matteo, but I have zero sympathy for that kind of issue or problem that we have that oh no our dedicated fans are too loud cheering for somebody you know we talked about it with um uh oh gosh who won the other day when we were saying ricky was making a run who do we have on um and you could hear the ricky roars in the background oh sure um it just that's the way it worked it was at the, it was at uh preserve preserve yeah i forget who who even won that event it's been so long terry yeah. um but either way it's it, I've got zero complaints about that. Yeah. So anyway, so the point, you know, related to that is, you know, oh, no, we have all these spectators. We have all these Bradley. Here, yes. Thank you. Bradley. Uh, doing all these things. Spectator traffic, as he says, spectator traffic and destroyed those fairways. There is some complaints to that. I can understand that like that. The, and again, another reason why teeing off earlier in the day probably would have been better. Um, who? But there's not as much spectator traffic early in the week. Spectators in general either. Earlier earlier in the week and when the weather was down. I mean, we do need to make sure that as their sport grows, that we are in more control of spectators. I have heard our cameramen multiple times at different events say, hey, these spectators are not being monitored. They're out of control. There's nobody holding them back at times. You shouldn't have spectators probably walking through fairways. And there should be designated areas they can walk around fairways, not through them. But we're not, I mean, it, that's a lot of volunteers and that's a lot of movement. And 
when you get to a place like Idlewild, there ain't a lot of places to walk sometimes. And that's what I was just going to say. And specifically, like, so at Idlewild, like they have it at some of the other places, mm-hmm. they have a general admission area that's roped off where people can stand and they can walk and they can hang out. And then there is a limited amount of people that have VIP access that can go through some of these more congested, mm-hmm. tighter corridors and fairways and whatnot. And all I think is when you're down on 17, there's there's essentially no way to get back logically out to the end of the tournament other than going the long pathway to 18 and then walking down 18. Like that's how you get out of that, out of that course, so to Mm -hmm. speak. Even if it was limited, which it probably was to just VIPs, I think, cool. None of those problems would exist if it was sunny all three days. Like that's just, I'm not saying it's, it's impossible to account for it, but it's not something you're necessarily thinking about as to, oh, well, hey, we might get this torrential downpour for a day or two, and the the, the hundreds of fans that are coming through here are going to actually make it way worse. I, I don't know how you perfectly plan for those types of things. Live and learn. That's one of the things we need to consider for our shaded wooded courses that don't have a lot of grass on the fairways and spots. That's Because that will happen. Every course, every state probably has a course that you, maybe not Arizona where it never rains, but um, that when it rains, you're like, ugh, I just don't want to play there because dot, dot, dot. It's slippery. It's muddy. It's yucky. I'll, I would rather go play another course, even if, if it rained, where I know that the the grass is a little bit better and the ground soaks up the water. We all know here in Milwaukee, Dretzka, after it rains, holes 1 and 18 are a lake. Yeah, and it, isn't it funny now if you really bring this big picture... Let's bring it to Perry. Where where do we James love, Webb's big where picture? Where do we love watching disc golf played the most? Wide open golf courses. No, no, oh. we love wooded, uh, congested oh, fairways. Yeah. We like watching uh, accuracy. We like watching people carve shots through the woods, lace fairways. Mm-hmm. That's what overwhelmingly the majority of disc golf fans like to watch. Oh yeah. Where does it get wet and, <laughs> and muddy? Oh. In these wooded courses, so I, and, th- and that's to why be fair, I say, didn't the didn't the TD crew take some, a bunch of stone or something yeah. on one of their on one of the holes? And they're doing their best. So uh, this is not a rip on Idlewell because they no. are because yeah. they did above and beyond what most courses would do. They laid down in between, I think, second and third round. Yeah, they went out and put down a ton of traffic bond, like really, yeah. um, so like like a crushed limestone. They put down traffic bond. That was mm-hmm. incredible. It created unbelievable grip and traction throughout some of the muddiest parts on that course. So shout, uh, shout yeah. out to them. Uh, exactly. And it's funny because even on the very first day when we were there on Friday, it started to rain and it got all muddy and it's right where um, vehicles were driving into the vendor area and somebody's tires were spinning for some, I'm like, Oh God, this is going to be a mud pit. This is going to be absolutely terrible. In fact, me and somebody else made a joke about not standing near it. Cause mud's just going to be ripping into our face any minute. <laughs> me and Chris Dickerson. And sure yeah. enough, the next time I walked through there, they had like this entire area all with probably a truck, literally a truckload of gravel had been put down like regular gravel to mitigate any, Phenomenal. there was never any more mud there the rest of the weekend. And that was way back on Friday when they had done that. I was, cause it was already going to become a mud pit. So shout out to the, to the crew there who do an incredible job. Hmm. So, I, uh, so for every problem you're, we're having now, yeah. just know at one point we were begging for 
something that now has led us to that problem. So as you're saying, it's like it's all two step, growing pains. Two steps it's forward, all, one yeah, step back. Exactly. We'll get there. A slippery one at that. <laughs> two steps forward, and then you slide on your ass, uh, and then you take some steps back. Yeah. So just, just that's, and that's what I say, and I don't mean that to be pessimistic. I'm just saying it's, it's all about perspective too. That you know, think about the problems we're having now. Mm-hmm. Our spectators are too loud. <laughs> we have too many walking around. You know, but yet we want more money, and we want everything infused, and we want you know all these op- opportunities. So. I went someplace where there were a ton of spectators and it was really dry. <laughs> I'll let you then complete your uh, your Alpine Valley. Oh, okay. Alpine Which Valley. is not necessarily normal out there, oh, right? Well, I mean, any given particular. Uh, for those of you that don't know Alpine Valley, imagine um, if you know the, the, if you're familiar with Red Rocks, it's a giant amphitheater, but rather than being built out of rocks, it's built on a hill. And so the last two thirds of it is nothing but. Uh, uh, grass, just regular or whatever. I've been to Alpine Valley three times now. All three of them actually have seen Rage Against the Machine there. Um, the first two were both wet and muddy. And what happens is you have a giant hill with a bunch of drunk people who just become mud people. And they it becomes a giant mudslide. This was the first time I've ever sat in the uh, in the grass seats. Thankfully, it was a gorgeous night. Um, there was not a, a drop of humidity in the air. In fact, I'm, I got sunburnt on my left arm and my right leg. So um, just based on the way I was sitting kind of cross-legged and trying to hide from the sun with my, my big floppy hat on, almost uh, Ricky style, but it's a little bit different. And, and I got a little sunburn. So funny thing is this was on Saturday. I'm walking to meet a friend who was at the concert as well. We had a bunch of people that were in the Wisconsin area were at this concert, but a friend of mine was there. I get over by the merch tent and I turn and there's a guy in a Macbeth shirt, not the Macbeth shirt that he had on, thankfully. Um, but it had a silhouette of Paul and on the back, it just said Macbeth. And I, I was standing there cause I told my buddy, I'm like, Hey, meet me by the merch tent. Cause there's this big outside merch tent where everyone kind of congregates. I'm waiting and I'm waiting and this guy standing in line and they're not making any progress. So finally I just kind of walk over and I tap him on the shoulder. I'm like, Hey, I don't know this person. I said, did you know it's Paul's birthday today? Cause it was on Saturday and he turns around and he was a little bit inebriated. And, th- and this is probably about three o'clock in the, a- no, it was five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, he goes, actually, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> Thanks buddy. And he was with like three or four of his friends. And at that point, once I saw how inebriated he was, I was like, cool, have a great day, pal. Have, have a good one. And I kind of just walked away, ended up finding my friend Adam and whatever. We hung out and kind of pre-gamed a little bit. Um, but I did think it was funny that the people whose car was two down from us, one guy was wearing a disc golf shirt, brought out a couple putters to play around. They brought out can jam for a little while. Brock and I were debating whether we wanted to walk over and try to play, but instead we kind of hung out and just had some food and drink. But uh, a lot of disc golf right now around, no matter where you go, uh, Alpine Valley fits. I think there were 30,000 people there at Alpine wow. Valley. It was packed. Like it was, you know, as Matteo would say, um, 
balls to the pedal to the metal. <laughs> That's a line of his? Yeah, yeah. I think that was an interview oh. he did. He was like, because I think he was going to say balls to the wall, but he said like balls to the pedal to the metal or something is what Matty O had said in one of his interviews this weekend. Um, so I, either way, phenomenal show as well. They, they the, guy, the guys are in their 50s now, which kind of is boggles my mind and ran around like they were in their 20s. So couldn't complain. I heard they played another show just a few days ago yesterday. And yep. in Chicago, I was going to say, yeah, I think we know people in Chicago. Yeah. And the lead singer, Zach Del Roca, uh, like tripped and hurt his leg or something. Mm. And so he was sitting the whole show as he was singing, which to me sounds insane based on how much he jumped and moved and, and screamed and yelled and did the whole thing. And of course, this may sound stupid to say, but we found in our section I swear to God, one of the only mosh pits in the entire place sh- showed up right in front of us. And normally you'd think it's a Rage Against Machine show. There's probably a dozen of them. I looked around it in the grass seats. I couldn't find another one. But yet these 25-year-old college bros or 23-year-old, whatever they were, after Run the Jewels played, uh, first rap concert I've ever been to, so that's good. Um, after they played, everyone kind of filtered forward. And we were probably about maybe a hundred feet from the from the Guardian. Suddenly, there was where it was. Everyone was kind of cool and calm and spread out. Right before Rage showed up, everybody filtered forward, and we stayed where we were. So suddenly, there's these guys in front of us, and they like about a third of the way through the concert, they just one guy goes tarps off, tarps off, and I'm like, what is that? And he turned and he's taking off his shirt. And at that point, then it was just no holds barred. These guys, there were three girls in front of us. I think they were the girlfriends, and these guys are just ramming into each other like an old school mosh pit like something mm. i haven't seen at a concert yeah. and i'm old now i was in, gonna say in the, a the, long the, this time crowd is getting older it, it is because i looked around and i was like wow there's some young people here but for the most part everyone here is like 30 to 50 <laughs> yeah and and we're all raging against the machine <laughs> as we go back to our corporate jobs after on monday yeah. probably <laughs> <laughs> so sellouts yeah i i, I Again, I can't. If you get the chance to go see them, it's it's uh, it's an experience, well worth it. Mm, speaking of experiences, I just saw it on the Instagrams. Uh, Holly Finley, who has very much flown under the radar for uh, it being known that she's eligible for Pro Masters Worlds, we saw her. I think sitting in second place right now. She is. Uh, she carded a world's ace today. So congratulations to her. It's Hole on her Instagram. Eight, I think Hole I saw eight, it at Northwoods Blue. Yeah. So uh, congratulations to Holly Finley uh, snagging an ace today at the Worlds. That's no better time, obviously, to get an ace than at the World Championships. So congrats to her. It looks like it was actually even filmed by somebody uh, from a phone or something. Uh, so you can find that on Holly's Instagram. Congrats. I just saw it for the first time myself. Cool thing about my concert, this is the first show they've played in 11 years. Yeah. This open. You were sp- supposed to go two, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. And then pandemic and everything got pushed back. But then they were supposed to do like an early season half of the tour that that got canceled due to some COVID reasons, I think. So this was literally the opening show of their tour, of which they haven't toured in 11 plus years. And you would never guess it. Like, never. Mm. So they did some really good practicing, clearly. Okay. Um, Matt, uh, massive J says, Matty O's dad, Jim Orem is in the hall of fame now. Uh, yes. Uh, they had the hall of fame ceremonies, I believe last night. What day is it? Tuesday. So I believe it was, I apologize. I don't know if it was Monday night or two or 
or Sunday night for the players. I think it was last night. So congratulations um, uh, to any and all new Hall of Fame members. Uh, Matty O's dad had passed away, um, I believe, a few months ago now. And he talked a little bit about it during the press conference, actually. I feel like at one point, Matty O even made a post and said something about, I'm not playing any PDGA events until my dad's in the Hall of Fame, which, to be fair, the PDGA and the Hall of Fame are are in fact very separate. Yeah. I, the PDGA supports the Hall of Fame, and there's clearly a lot of carryover and and uh, interweaving there. However, the PDGA does not run the Disc Golf Hall of Fame. It is entirely its own separate entity, its own everything. Books, accounting, people, curators, all of that are are separated from the PDGA. So I want to make that very clear. I think a lot of people do not realize that. Everyone and, 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 everyone thinks they're together and they and, and, they work and, and, together. And it makes but, sense. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I don't think you're crazy or stupid if you thought that, but it is worth a distinction. And I and I guess to quickly bring up another point in the board one thing that really made me realize in listening to some of the board interviews that I was referencing earlier on the podcast was just that I think one of my biggest frustrations in hearing someday I'll run for the board maybe, but hearing statements made are when I feel like people and their complaints are either complaints and or platforms and or positions I think are just inherently off from the get go. So it's like, you have a take on something which I'm good with, but the problem is like your foundation is already incorrect. So then your take isn't isn't heading in the right direction. And I feel like, of course, that's just general misinformation in general. Anywhere it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with disc golf. But I feel like a lot of times I hear things said that are like, well, the PDGA should do this, or so and so shouldn't do this, or you know, here I'm barking about this, and it's like, but wait, you're you you're not even blaming the right people. And that is just I, I feel like I heard some of that within what I listened to uh today in the in the board interviews. I was like, mm, I, I have a hard time getting behind you because I don't feel like your premise is right in the first place <laughs> in what you're you're speaking of. So uh Ryan Pilcher says, speaking of Hall of Fame ceremonies, congratulations, Tom McManus, PDJ one two seven six. He got inducted into the Illinois Disc Golf Hall of Fame. Shout out to Tom. Yeah, that took place this weekend as well at the Illinois State Championships. I believe it's been happening there at that event for the last couple of years. Uh Tom had asked me if I would in fact uh be the, his presenter of which I would have done in a heartbeat in person, except for I was already locked into being at Idlewild. Uh, so I put together a little video that they were able to show at the event. And awesome. uh, I guess it was well-received. And most importantly, Tom is in the Illinois Hall of Fame. So congratulations Rightfully so. Uh, to uh, good old Tom McManus. Um, Patreon dot com slash smashbox tv that'll get you it that will get you a that'll get you in your state's hall of fame if you support us enough Uh we will make a video for you to (laughs) get you into your hall of fame we will will create our own platform Mm -hmm. uh our own uh, it's the patreon hall of fame we mm -hmm. call it we will get you into that every state has their own Mm. um, patreon hall of fame so please start giving now in order to be in your patreon state (laughs) hall of fame you can start at smashbox um patreon.com slash smashbox tv so please 
give, give, give to get into your own Hall of Fame. Um, this week, we're going to give something away, Terry. We're going to give away the disc member package I have right Heck over yeah. here. I'm going to reach for it. It's on the ground. Disc member. It's right here. I don't want to show my address, although it's not hard to find. Um, so this is from Disc Store, which is part of Disc Member. This is a monthly subscription box that you can be a part of for, I believe it's $25 a month. You'll have to forgive me if I'm wrong on that. I haven't looked in a while, but you get at least $25 for the stuff. Usually it's closer to 40 every month. This one feels a little squishy. I think there might be a t-shirt in here. Mm, and I think... Or some boxers. Uh, or it could be some boxers. Or a gold bar. I'm not 100% sure. It's a little light for a gold bar, but I'm, I'm just going to guess that it, it, it might not be that. So... Yeah, well, make sure you go out there and subscribe. It looks like uh, it is a twenty nine ninety nine is oh, one it, of the darn options. inflation twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, I believe they have a few different options depending on what you want to get um, every month. I think they've got a bigger box. Wow, you can't box. listen to this. Uh, we got to get caught up. It says disc members now at a hundred percent capacity. You have to get on their waiting list. What? to possibly become all right. Uh, so clearly they're killing it and people are uh, more than excited to be part of it because it says that they're currently at their capacity and not accepting new members. However, you can subscribe to the wait list to uh, possibly get in. on. Okay. It. Well, get in on that wait list guys. Um, Dang. and, and girls. Um, so yeah, so we're going to give this away tonight. I have everybody who has registered on Patreon as well as the people that went to our uh, weekly giveaways page on the Smashbox TV site. And Terry, that means, let me scroll down here. We have 178 people eligible. 178. How are we going to do this, Terry? What 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 number do you want to draw? Oh. I've sorted it by email address in reverse order. So it's got to be, what, what did uh, Isaac say he puts with in PA3? So I think three is the number. Is it a PA3? Be sure. Go to I'm not, I'm go to prodigydiscs.com and find out for me, Terry. They don't pay me. No, but that's, we had Isaac on. That's I, true. So it's right on the front page, so you don't have to worry. Just It's an M1 and a PA3. Ah, uh, PA300. Right. So the 300. The 300. Okay. It's the Start 300 clicking. plastic, not the PA3. Start We're going to do the three. So our very first number we draw is 170. Ooh, our second number is 119. Terry, higher or lower than 119? Higher. The third number is 38, so you were way wrong. Number 38. Let me scroll down to that so I don't show everyone where they live. And 38 is R. Justin Daniel. Nice. R. Justin Daniel. So congratulations, R. Justin. We're going to write that right now on the box so we don't forget. And Terry will be reaching out to you to get you a – to get your – address so we can ship that to you sometime in the future hopefully sooner than later but but terry's going to europe so you might have to you know Let's he might we can get him he might get before i go that'd be ideal that would be ideal but ignore the dents in the box <laughs> didn't just do that so congrats so congratulations uh phil mill says all those tabs yeah i this is my work slash broadcast slash look things up computer. So I do have a lot of tabs. Uh, what do I got here? I got live. You, I got a couple spreadsheets, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, so discord, skip ACE, of course, oh, Gmail yeah. calendar. It's got a lot of stuff going on. Dang. Got a lot of stuff going on. I, you know, I don't, 
That's the best part. All right. I don't know if we have anything else that we need to cover. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, okay. I plugged I plugged the Maple Hill Invitational. Uh, some fresh content that I haven't had a lot of new stuff on my uh, page in a while. So hope you guys uh, enjoy that. Is there anything else we need to talk about on here within the group? There isn't. I'll be talking to you in the morning um, after you leave and then go to the studio. So let's wrap this up here tonight, Tear Bear. All right. And yes, Massive J, just to answer you, though, I know you asked earlier. Yeah, Johnny and I, uh, back in like 1999 I didn't do or it. 8. You can't find the body. Uh, did, in fact, uh, meet Jim Orem. Uh, we had we visited. We went down to... Uh, Mobile, we were down there for spring break, playing as many courses as we could. We always say people went to Cozumel and Mexico and drank margaritas and got drunk, and we went and played every disc golf course that we could possibly find because yeah, we're I, cool like that. I really honestly remember that, walking through Jim's house, Sky South, mm-hmm. and seeing all the, the Sky South bags particularly he had and just a bunch of discs at his house and probably running into a very young Mattio at the time. But I can't, yeah. I can't say for sure because I don't remember that, but I'm, I'm assuming he was around. Uh, well, in 2005, he was 16. So seven years earlier, he was like a nine-year-old, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty crazy. Um, and congratulations, like we said again to him. All right, guys, we're going to close it out. We wish everyone at the Junior and Pro Master, not just Pro Masters, Junior and Masters Worlds, Pro and Amateur, we wish them all the best of luck. Uh, have fun. I think there's like 13 courses in play uh, when it's all said and done. Huge, huge tip of the hat to... Uh, the crew over there at Ledgestone, who I know are going to be working along with Killing the PGA it. to pull off the event this week. And we're looking forward to you guys, of course, joining us as we bring you two beautiful courses in Norway uh, over the next four days on the Disc Golf Network. So, again, congrats to Isaac and Katrina, your champions at Idlewild, the LWS Open at Idlewild this weekend. Uh, for Johnny V and myself, the Disc Golf Guy, we'll see you guys, uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. And then we'll see you again next Tuesday. We'll see you then when you step inside the Smashbox.